started early, it could be 38-39. That's a little early. Yeah, you started early like I did. I should have stayed in, but...
stand all over the house this evening. Those joining online, we welcome you to church this evening. Let's worship the Lord together by singing an old hymn of the church, I'll Fly Away. Some that weren't here this morning due to various and sundry reasons, but we pray that you would touch them today. 
Father, Lord, let everything that we do, every word that is spoken, every note that is played, song that is sung, be for the advancement and the building of God's kingdom. For that, we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor that's due your name. And together, the people of God said, Amen. 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 Take this time to greet one another in the Lord before we come right back for worship. God bless you. standing for worship together. We're going to sing some old praise choruses and songs that you will be very familiar with. So let's worship the Lord today.
you just tell the Lord how much you love him just for a few moments. Oh, we love you, Lord.
Father, Lord, we come before you today. Lord, that is our prayer today, that you would sweep over our spirit, that forever we could abide in your presence. Father, we know it is a peace that surpasses all human understanding. But Lord, we know we can only find that peace when we trust in Jesus and we put our faith and hope in a God eternal. Father, as we get ready here in just a few moments to break the bread of life to the people of God today, I pray, Lord, that the words of the songs that have been sung today, God will have marinated in our hearts and will have set up the moment for us to have a divine encounter with God. God, I pray that the Word of God tonight only confirms what our heart already feels in this place. And that is that you are here and you give a peace that surpasses all human understanding, but only when we put our hope and trust in Jesus. And Father, I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Together the people of God said amen. And while you remain standing, if you'll quickly grab your Bibles. Go to the book of Psalms, chapter 91. The book of Psalms, chapter 91. We're going to read a few verses, but just keep your Bibles open because we're going to stay there for the duration of this message. We'll stay right there in Psalms 91. That way you'll be able to follow along as we continue to read more scriptures along this journey. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1, and if, here's what the Word of the Lord says. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, He's my refuge, my fortress, my God. That's a lot of personal pronouns and personal adjectives used there. He's not just the God of refuge, the God of fortresses, and just the God of gods. He is my refuge, possession, my fortress, my God in whom, we just sang about it, in whom I will, tis so sweet, to trust in Jesus. Surely, God, he shall deliver us from the snare of the fowler and from perilous pestilence. We've talked about that before during the COVID season. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield 
and your buckler. For the next few moments, I'm going to do my best with the help of the Holy Spirit to just preach on a very simplistic thought process today. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole He's got you and me, brother. He's got you and me, sister. He's got the church. He's got the government. He's got the cancer. He's got the broken marriages. He's got your wayward children. He's got whatever you need. He's a God that supplies all our needs because he's got it. Tonight I want to talk to you. Whatever you have need of, he's got it in his hands. Let's pray for it today. Heavenly Father, to the best of my ability, help me to preach the word of God. Hide me behind the cross of Calvary. Take a coal from the altars of heaven. Anoint these mortal lips of clay that I can decree and declare not mere mortal words, but the words from heaven's throne room. Help me to preach, Lord, with the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, not that I be seen, but you be glorified. For your word says that if you be high and lifted up, you would draw all men unto yourself, whether online or in-house. Let the words that are spoken in this moment and the sacredness of this hour be a keros moment. God, let it be a right moment, a right time, at the right place, that we are all together for your word to take residency in our hearts. And Father, I pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the people of God together said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Many of you probably, when you were a little boy or a little girl, if you were raised in church, you probably learned that age-old song that I just quoted to you. It became famous in children's church across the world. You could go to other countries and almost sing things like, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves the little children of the world. He's got the whole world in his hands. And all nations had a variation in their own language or dialect, but they knew. They recognized the tune. They recognized the song. And what a powerful thought process. I know the words were, you know, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got me and you and me, sister, in his hands. And that's great. And I know the writer of the song probably didn't have time to keep writing verse after verse because he didn't want it to get too redundant. But can I tell you the the tagline of that song is he's got the whole world in his hands. Can I tell you that there's some truth to the fact that he's got whatever you need in his hands. He's got, you know, cancer doesn't catch God off guard. He's got that in his hands. Financial trouble doesn't catch God off guard. He says, for I own the cattle of a thousand hills. God doesn't get confused God doesn't get lost God doesn't get surprised if you will because whatever we have need of but the Bible says he has got exceedingly and abundantly above that which my mind can think or comprehend which tells me that if I need a healing he's got it in his hands if I need a miracle he's got it in his hands if I need a financial breakthrough he's got it in his hands if I need God to restore my marriage or my home he's got it in his hands if I need God to give me a job or a better job or a promotion or income he's got it in his hands if I need God to help my church stay together and his church stay together and if I need God to help bring workers into the kingdom. He's got whatever I need in his hands. In Stockholm, Sweden, there was a story told of a woman who was injured as she tried to rush to catch a streetcar. In her haste to run to catch the car, she stumbled and fell in front of the moving car. It pinned her underneath with no way to get out because... The streetcar on that trolley system was stuck because of her body. The 
the police sent for a crane to come and lift the car off her body, but as you know, time was of the essence. While waiting for the crane, of course, many crowds of people began to gather in amazement. But one man pushed through the crowd and he crawled beneath the car beside her. He laid down in the face of danger and he spoke three words to her, simply this. Take my hand. As she took his hand, she began to feel warmth, encouraged, and remained calm in this situation. It seemed to prevent her body from going into shock mode. After the crane arrived and the woman was finally released, upon her recovery from her injuries, when interviewed later about her horrific experience, she said the following line, I never thought that an outstretched hand could do so much in my time of need. Can I tell you today that I can? you can come to church and ask me, Pastor, can I borrow 20 bucks because I need it, and I can give you 20 bucks, but that only will help you for so long. You know, if, you give a, if a drug addict comes here or an alcoholic comes here and says, hey, Rev, can I borrow $20, and I promise I'll give it back, but I, I got to pay a bill, and, and I need to get your creditors off my back, and I give them $20, but they go out and buy alcohol instead, and they keep doing the same life. You know what's going to happen? They're going to keep getting the same results. It only does so much. You can go to all the... No offense, I love these places, but you go all the Salvation Army, CLMs of the world, all these, you know, celebrate recoveries of the world, and all these people, you can get handouts. The government can give us handouts, free phones, free food, free whatever. You can get all the handouts you want. But I want to tell you, just like that woman said, I never thought that an outstretched hand could mean so much and be so powerful and do so much in my time of need. I can only give you so much, but when there is a hand that comes from another dimension and another atmosphere and another world, when the outstretched hand, the Bible says, when his hand, re old songwriter actually penned it, says when he reached down his hand, not for anything else, he reached it down for me because I couldn't get it. It says when my Savior reached down for me, he had to reach not just a little bit, he had to reach way down there for me. For I was lost and undone without God's only Son, but he reached down his hand for me. When I could not reach up to grab him, God said, don't worry about it. I'll reach down to grab you. I'm telling you, there's something to be said about the outstretched hand of the Lord. After World War II ended, there was a group of German students who volunteered to help rebuild one of the cathedrals in London, England. It had been decimated and severely damaged by the bombings of that day. They did well with most of the cathedral. In fact, there was only really one particular statue that really they couldn't fix. They spent days, weeks, months, hours of time. But the one statue that was broken the most into pieces that they could not figure out was a marble statue of a replication of Jesus Christ. He was shattered. It once stood with Christ standing on a marble pillar, on a marble slab, with his outstretched arms, and underneath his feet the inscription read, Come unto me, with arms outstretched.
after much days, weeks, months, and tiring nights, they were able to find and reconstruct the entire statue, except for one piece. They could not replace his hands. They had been completely demolished, completely destroyed, and when they finished the statue of Jesus, he had outstretched arms with no hands. They began to talk amongst themselves, what are we to do? One of them says, well, we could just make new hands. Another one said, well, we could just leave it as it is, and it just is what it is. After much dialogue and debate, they finally, Brother Larry, decided, well, we'll just leave it alone. It's the best we've done. We leave it alone. But they took the stone that had the original inscription that said, come unto me, and they chiseled it out and smoothed it over and rewrote the inscription. And the inscription read this, he has no hands but ours. Now you think about that, if you just let that sink in for a moment, God doesn't need my hand, but I need God's hand. And those students put all the pieces back together and they said, oh, what are we going to do? God doesn't have any hands. No, no, no. God didn't need us to fix his hands. We needed God's hands to fix us. And so when they wrote the inscription, he has no hand but ours, can I tell you when I was a sinner lost in shame and I didn't know what to do, I may not have known what hand I needed, but what I really needed was the hand of Jesus. He had no hands to me, but he had mine. Because if I don't know Jesus, I don't know the power of his hands. But when Jesus came down to me and he took me by the hand, I knew right then and there I didn't want to ever let go of that hand. Because that hand was the one sustaining me. You know, when I remember in, in Bible school and, uh, and I was a child and even when, when I went to Church of God youth camps and worked and things like that, every once in a while they would go back to retro days, if you, would, if you would, to, you know, older songs, you know, with youth camps and things like that. Everything was great, but we went back to things. And I remembered that one of the songs that kind of people that were working during that time period with me that we always went back to and all the kids were stunned because they never knew these songs. They were all, we'd stand there and, you know, fun time and we'd sing these songs and some of them would look at us like, Where did, I've never heard that song. You know, they knew all the new stuff, but none of But we whipped out this old classic spiritual song that most of you in here probably have never heard a day in your life, but I'm going to tell it to you. It said, put your hand in the hand of a man who steals waters. And put your hand in the hand of a man who can calm seas. The next line is what gets you. Take a look at yourself so you can look at others differently. By doing what? Putting your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. And then another songwriter says, every time I take a look into the book, I want to tremble. When I read about the part where the carpenter cleared the temple, all the buyers and the sellers, they were no different fellas than what I used to be until I put my hand in the hand of that man from Galilee. Now, most people think it's some spiritual, old spiritual song, but it wasn't. It was actually written by one of the whitest guys there is called Joel Hemphill. He has got not a, he has not tan in the least bit. But he wrote it with that style, and it became very catchy. People sang it. 
And it spread like wildfire. African-American churches, people like that, picked it up, and they put their own spin and flavor on it, and it was great. But the reality of the fact is the song still is true. Nothing changes until I put my hand in his hands. And the reality of this is just like that inscription, God's hands, he had no hands but mine. You see, when you look at the passage of Scripture in Psalms 91, the writer of this psalm is actually a mystery. Some scholars say it was Moses, because Moses wrote verse or chapter of the uh, book 90, if you will, Psalms 90. So some say he wrote the book, book number six, if you will, or four. Uh, excuse me, book number four. If you have those kinds of headers, it'll tell you kind of in books. They think from Psalms 90 to Psalms 98 or so, Moses wrote it. Other scholars says, no, no, that can't be attributed because in the middle of that is the Psalm of David. That can't be right. David had to write it. The reality of it is whether Moses wrote it or whether David wrote it is really immaterial and a moot point. Because the meaning of this psalm is in no way less impactful regardless of who the writer is. Because it was likely used, all scholars agree, it was likely used by the writer to encourage himself in a dire situation. Now, when we break down the Psalms in bite-sized pieces, we find those same golden nuggets of truth for everyday reminders and living. So hypothetically, let's just say it was Moses that wrote it. Let's just give him credit for a moment. Well, why would Moses need to say that he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty? And I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and fortress, my God in whom I trust. He will deliver me from the snare of the fowler and pestilence and cover me with his feathers and under his wings. Why would Moses need to do that? Well, because he had to be a vagabond for killing an Egyptian when Pharaoh was looking to take him out. Wondering how he went from palace living to pauper shepherding. How he went from eating three square meals a day with the finest to having to scrounge around in the desert for food. I, I, would, I would think that when sometimes we go in desert places, sometimes we, need to, we have to have moments of encouragement. Well, let's just say it wasn't him. Let's say it was David that wrote it. Why would David need to say something like this? Man, David's whole life is nothing more than a self-help book of encouragement. David starts out as a shepherd. He gets anointed to be king, thinks life's turning around for him, goes, works for Saul for a little while, goes back home, goes to visit his brothers, kills a, kills a giant. Everything seems to be going great. Brothers get mad at him. Saul's thankful for him. Saul says, you don't have to pay taxes. You get to marry my daughter. You're now a prince by, by technicality because you married the princess. You're now royal family members, and everything seems great. Saul gets depressed. They decide that he needs to have music therapy, so they call in a music therapist, and they bring in David, of all people, to play the harp. David does that for a few weeks and months and seems to be going well. Life's going great. Every time he plays, the Spirit of the Lord walks into the room with the anointing of David's hands, and the, the evil spirits leave Saul. But one day, something doesn't happen. The spirits doesn't leave, and Saul gets mad and grabs a spear and throws it about 110 miles an hour towards David's flesh with every intention of pinning David to the wall, and only by the skin of his teeth did David move out the way and have to say to Jonathan, your dad is out to kill me. So Jonathan and David come come up with an agreement, David runs away for a few days, and he says, Jonathan, listen, when you go to dinner tonight, if your dad asks about me, 
and you tell him A, B, C, and D, if he says this, that means I'm in good standings. But if he doesn't say this and he says the other, I know I'm in trouble. And so they come up with this plan that Jonathan says, well, I'll bring my servant out. And if I tell him to shoot the arrow, if I tell him that the arrow is here nearby, you got to come closer, that's telling you you can come back home. But if I tell him that the arrow is beyond him, that means you better take off running because Saul's coming for you. So he goes to dinner that night. Sure enough, Saul asks where David is. Jonathan says, well, he went home to check on his family. Saul becomes enraged. He says, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. The next day, David and Jonathan are out in the field. David tells, or Jonathan tells his servant to shoot the arrow, says, the arrow is beyond you. When the servant goes to look for it, David pops out of the tall grass. He hugs Jonathan. He kisses him on the cheek, and he runs off. David now is living like a pauper and a, vag a vagabond. He's hiding in caves, caves like a dolom and other places where he's trying to hide so Saul can't find him. He can't go home because Saul knows where his daddy lives. He can't go to the palace because Saul was waiting for him. So David gets a bunch of, if you will, misfits, and they become David's mighty men, and they all hide in caves and do bunker living, if you will. He had an opportunity to kill Saul, but he said, I won't touch God's anointed, so he just cuts a piece of the cloth off, and he holds it out and says, I could have killed you, but I didn't. But Saul says, you're more righteous than I. Things seem to be turning for David. David's doing good. But all of a sudden, Saul dies, Jonathan dies, David becomes king. Life's going great. Philistines are afraid of David. They know he's a giant slayer. Everything's great. But one of his sons, Absalom, decides, I don't know why I can't be king instead of my dad. Why can't I be the man in charge? So Absalom comes up with a conspiracy theory. And the Bible said he wooed, or if you will, he, he swayed the hearts of the people of God from David to, to Absalom. And Absalom gets a group of people, and they go after David. David has to flee the royal city of Jerusalem, takes off running. And Absalom makes a desecration of David's house in front of all the town with his midwives and housewives, if you will. Absalom has everything he can to make David's name be defamed and desecrated in town. Where's David? Hiding again. That's why David, if it was David that wrote this, that's why he says, whoever dwells in secret places can abide in shadows of the Almighty, because I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, no matter what my family does, no matter what the king does, no matter what the government does, no matter what my children do, no matter what my boss man does, no matter what the job does, if the Lord, he is my refuge and my strength, in God will I trust. That's what David said. So what is David or Moses, depending on the writer, either one, what did they teach? Well, very quickly, I'm going to tell you. The first thing they taught us is that God is a safe place. He's a place of safety. You know, kids, kids can have this unique ability to perceive danger. Whether you call it stranger danger or anything else. I'll give you an example. My child's very effervescent personality. He typically meets no stranger. He is very much so a talker, a people person. He loves people. Brianna's nephew, Ivan, same thing. He's the same age as Micah. He comes to, quote, Alma and Grandpa's house, and he is charged like the Energizer Bunny from start to finish. He is ready to go. You take him out 
with all of us together, ride in a car, take him to the water park, him and Micah together. You take him to the fire museum where they are 100 miles an hour at the aquarium trying to pick up the jellyfish out the tank, trying to take the sharks out by their heads and trying to pick up the stingrays by the tail. I mean, they're just full throttle. They're, I mean, they're just ready. You put them two boys in a room with no one they know and they clam up and they get shy like they don't even know how to speak. Ivan will almost, if you will, wilt like a flower on a hot summer day. He'll sit in a corner all by himself, literally say nothing. When I go places sometimes, and Micah, you can see the sheer petting on Micah's face. I can take him to where I'm preaching at a church or somewhere. He can come in here and he can bounce around with all of you, talk to you guys. Life's great. Me and Brianna can take him places at the restaurant. Life's great. I take him to a community revival. I take him somewhere. If Miss Brianna can't go with us, and I have to take him, and he has to sit on a pew when the first person walks by just to say, hey, because they know he's my son. He looks like a deer in the headlights. He sits there stone. His, literally, his whole body literally stiffens up, and he looks for me, and if I, don't, if I come to him, it'll kind of calm his nerves, but if you wait for a few minutes, if you'll see him. He'll start to slowly make his way He'll come right behind my leg, and he'll stand here, and he'll hold my He's not being rude. He's terrified. He don't know them. Now, once I start talking to them, and I introduce them, and I say, hey, Micah, this is Pastor so-and-so, or this is Brother so-and-so. They're one of Daddy's friends, or there's somebody. Then I'll say, well, you want to tell him hi? And he'll say hi, and a few minutes later, he might warm up. But if I don't say nothing, he don't say nothing. You know why? Because they, in that moment, are not feeling safe. It's uncertainty. On this journey of faith that we walk on, there are times in our lives where the enemy wants you to feel unsafe. He wants you to feel vulnerable. He wants you to feel like there's no one on your side. But the Bible describes God as a heavenly father, and we are his children. The Bible says he is a heavenly father. And Jesus said I, the whole purpose of Jesus' ministry to come to earth was to reconcile us, not back to God. He said to reconcile you back to the father. That's how he described his mission. He said, I've come to not reconcile you back to God, but to reconcile you back to the Father. In fact, the Apostle Paul in his writings to the church, churches of Asia, and all those over there and to the churches that he planted, he actually said that we have been given the spirit of adoption, sons and daughters, so that by essence we can cry out unto him, Abba, Father. Or if you translate that, dad, dad, or, 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 or father, father. A, a term of endearment, not just call him God, but we become heirs and joint heirs, sons of adoption, daughters of adoption by God. Because God is a safe place. What did I read to you? He who dwells in the secret place shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say unto him, he is my refuge, my fortress, my refuge. In him will I trust. What? Safe. With God, I have a place of safety. So when you sing things or say things like he's got the whole world in his hands, when you say he's got me and you brother, me and you sister, me and you daddy, me and you mama, me and you church in his hands, what we're really saying is anything in the hand of God, nothing can pluck it out of the hand of God. Do you realize God has never lost anything that's been committed to his hands? The only reason you may have walked through places where you feel like the hand of God left you is because you walked out of the hand of God rather than staying in the palm of his hand. If your hand was to lay flat like this and you let a caterpillar or you let a bug walk across it, they're fine. But as soon as they do like this, if they don't make sure they make that proper turn, they're going straight down to the ground. Why? Because they walked out of your hand. They were safe. 
as long as they stayed in your hand. But as soon as they walked off the edge, they fall to their impending demise. Can I tell you, many of us, God's got his hand so wide, so big, so vast, so strong, we can't even describe the hand of Almighty God that can hold the world. He can hold the entire galaxies in his hand. He can hold the entire solar system in the palm of his hands. And yet, two-legged creatures can walk out of his hand just like that. Because we want to get out of the place of God's rest. It's a safe place. It's a place where we don't have to worry or fret. Nobody has went to hell without bypassing the grace of God. Let me say that again. You didn't hear what I just said. God has never condemned someone straight to hell and didn't give them a chance. If you were in our Wednesday night Bible study, we were talking about predestination. God has never assigned people to hell right off the bat. No one that is currently residing in hell did so by not having an opportunity to at least experience at least once the grace of God as an option. Every person that has died and is an eternally damned for the rest of their life only did so by bypassing the blood of Jesus and crossing over the grace of God at every pass and saying, I don't want you, Jesus. That's the only way they ended up there. See, the reality of it is God intended for him to be a safe place for us. But the next thing, verse 5, look what it says. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousands at your right hand. What's the title of the message? In his hand. But it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. But look at verse number 7. A thousand may fall. Ten thousand may fall, but they won't get close to you. They'll only get so far. You don't have to be afraid of the terror. You don't have to stress about it. What is he telling me? What is he teaching me, preacher? God gives a sheltering peace. When you abide in God, God can calm you down and calm your nerves. I'm going to tell you something. I've studied psychology. I've studied counseling. I am not any way, shape, or form saying that the sciences don't have validity. I'm not in any way what I'm about to say, shape, or form, is not saying that there isn't some good things that happens in psychology or behavioral modifications or certain treatment plans or, or, or reconstructive cognitive behavioral therapies and, and thought processes and things like that. Yes, there are things that can be absolutely impactful. But you'll never fully experience the peace like you want until you give it to Jesus. Now, you can go to the shrink all you want to. I studied to be one. So, obviously, I was intrigued by it. You can go all the counseling sessions you want to to talk about your troubles and trials and past and frustration. You can talk to your blue in the face. But the old song says, the only real peace that I have, dear Lord, is not in my counselor. It's not in my preacher. It's not in my wife. It's in you, Lord. 
The reality of it is I'm not saying you don't need to go to doctors. I'm not saying that if you get a report of cancer that you don't need to go see the oncologist and see what's going on and how we can treat it. I'm not saying if you get a diagnosis of Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or you get a diagnosis of congestive heart failure or pulmonary embolisms. I'm not saying don't go get checked out. What I am saying is you'll stress yourself out unless you give it to God and say, but God, I trust you no matter what. You'll kill yourself with worry before the rest of it kills you. Hello, preacher. Because the only way you'll ever have a peace that surpasses all understanding is in God. It's God. John 16.33 says that we can have peace because Christ overcame the world. Isaiah 26 and 3 says you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds stay upon you because they trusted in you. Philippians 4, 7 says, the peace of God transcends all human knowledge and intellect and understanding. I can't give you peace. You can come by my office. You can talk to me and talk to me, and I can try to encourage you for a moment. But when you go to bed, the problem may still be at your home or at your job or with your kids. And you may try to lay down, but you will toss and you will turn and you will cry and you will stress and you will worry. But I'm telling you the best way to get a good night's sleep and the best way to stop worrying and stop right. The Bible said, why take things of the thought of tomorrow? If the Heavenly Father has already fed the birds of the air and clothed the grass with dew, why don't you think He'll take care of you too? Don't worry about it. God's got it under control. You're saying, preacher, are you saying that anybody that worries is a bad person? No, but I'm telling you that worry will kill you quicker than anything else will kill you because it'll compromise science tells us that worry will cause your immune system to be compromised and it'll cause you to be more vulnerable to sicknesses but John Hopkins University and Ohio State University did a study on people post-surgery and people that had faith in God prior to going into surgery and had a peace about them recovered faster than those who were stressed about the surgery before they went into it I don't think it's a coincidence that God is the one that can let me sleep in the middle of the struggle and in the middle of the storm. Why could Jesus sleep in the bow of a boat in the storm? Because he is the peace speaker. He knows where peace comes from. Many are they that increase that trouble me and rise up against me. But when I laid myself down to sleep, the psalmist said in Psalms 3, the Lord sustained me. Why? Because he gives peace that surpasses all understanding. He helps me understand it all. Verse number 9. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor any plague come nigh or near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all ways. In their hands... They will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You remember when Jesus was talking to the devil at the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. That's the scripture that they threw out to each other. Satan says, well, we know that if you jump, you have charge over the angels. The devil knows the Bible just about as good as you do. He knows it. He knows it well, maybe even sometimes better than we do. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, you will trample underfoot. What is that saying to you? It's telling me that not only is God a safe place and a sheltering peace, 
But he has a sure presence that he doesn't leave me nor forsake me. And no matter what I'm going through, he's right there in the boat with me. When the disciples, Jesus said, I want you guys to go out and I want you to cross to the other side. I'm going to go to the mountain to pray. Brother Larry, the Bible said he goes to the mountain to pray about middle of the night, about 3 o'clock in the morning, at the darkest point in the night. This storm like they had never seen. These are professional fishermen. They had a storm like you wouldn't believe. You talk about seasickness, motion sickness, torrential rain and downpours. I mean, they had a storm like no other. They're terrified. They're freaking out. But the Bible said that in the midnight hour or in that dark hour, even though Jesus earlier had been praying on the mountain, I believe you can preach it when you preach it how you want to. But I believe what Jesus was praying on the mountain was knowing they were about to go into the storm so he's telling God as my great high priest and mediator between God and man of the order of Melchizedek I believe Jesus said Father I need you to protect them I'm going to go out there to them but let their faith remain strong that they can see the glory of God almighty and he starts walking on water and they perceived the fear of the storm was worse by the fear of the ghost that was walking and said oh God we see the death angel he's coming after us we're all going to die and the Bible said that as he began to get closer, somebody said, no, I don't think it's an angel. I don't think it's the death angel. I think it's the Lord. Peter jumps out the boat and says, well, that's good enough for me. That's the best thing I've heard all day. He starts walking on the water. They get back in the boat. Jesus says, peace be still. The water side down. The wind stops raging. Why? Because when Jesus, when you're in the middle of your storm, Jesus is in there with you. The old songwriter put it this way. Jesus is with me when the storm clouds gather. He's standing by my side when I hear the thunder roll. He holds my hand when I begin to tremble when the winds of this world are blowing strong. The key word is, but Jesus is with me. He's with me. I remember another story in the New Testament where Jesus says, hey guys, let's put the boat out. Jesus has been doing a day full of ministry. He's been feeding thousands of people, healing people. And he goes and he says, boys, I'm going to take a nap. I'm just tired. He decides he's going to take a rest. He goes down to the bottom of the boat. He falls asleep in the bow of the boat. The storm rages. The disciples have Jesus on board this time. He's not walking on the water. He's in the boat with them while the storm's raging. They get so worried and afraid, they go and they grab Jesus, they shake him and they wake him up and it says, they say it like this, Master, cast not thou that we perish. What they're saying is, Jesus, do you not care we're dying up here? How can you sleep there in this? You know what Jesus' response was? Oh my gosh, oh my God, I didn't, I didn't even hear the storm. Oh my goodness, boys, we better get the buckets. Y'all better, y'all better go, y'all better go, we gotta go. Oh my goodness, I don't know what we're gonna do. We're gonna drown, boys. How many life jackets do we got? Does everybody got a life jacket? Put your life jacket on, Peter. John, you got a life jacket? Everybody get your life jacket on. We're gonna bail. No, that ain't what Jesus did. You know what he said? Oh, ye of little faith. You know what Jesus is really saying? You think I'm gonna sink myself? Are you really this dumb? You really think I'm gonna let the boat drown? I'm on the boat. You think I'm gonna kill myself in this process? I mean, how slow are we up here, boys? He says, oh, ye of little faith. And he stands over the bow of that boat and he says, shh. See, when you preach this, you can preach all you want to. I don't think Jesus had to get up there and said, winds from the north and waves burrowing from the south. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, cease and desist from moving. I don't think the wind is death. Nor do I think the waves can only respond to high fluctuation of voices. 
I personally think just to prove he was God, Jesus didn't yell it. Now, I know it's not in the Bible, but you're not preaching it, so I'm preaching it. I don't think Jesus yelled it. I think Jesus whispered it just to prove they can hear me in the middle of the turmoil. The winds and the waves still know my voice when everything else is blowing up around it. What does that mean, preacher? When your world is blowing apart, listen for the whisper. Because that may be God trying to talk to you in the storm. The winds are blowing. The, the waves are clashing. The lightning's flashing. And Jesus goes, Shh. Hey, guys. Wind. Waves. Let's, 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 let's be peaceful. Let peace be still. Let's just let's calm down. The wind that was and the waves that are clashing, they start slowly settling. See, Jesus doesn't always have to come in the boom of the thunder and the flash of the lightning. In the still small voice, he can whisper, I'm here. I'm right here. He's a sure presence. Proverbs 18.24 says, There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, The Lord goes with you. He will not fail you nor leave you. Hebrews 13 and 5 says, He never leaves nor forsakes us. John 16 and 7 says, If I leave you, I will not leave you alone, but I'll send somebody else just because when you think I'm leaving, I'm not going to let you think I'm leaving. I'm going to send you something better than I am. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the helper, the comforter. What Jesus has said is, I've got to go, but I'm still going to leave somebody down here with you when I go. He said it this way, It's imperative that I leave because he can't come till I get out of here. You want him to come, but you've got to let me go so he can come. Verse 14 and 15, and I'm almost through. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he knows my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer. I will be with him in trouble. Anybody ever had trouble before? Some of y'all probably have been married to trouble. Had kids that were trouble. You didn't name them trouble, but they were the epitome of trouble. You've had cats and dogs that were trouble. You've had grandchildren that were trouble. You've had cars that were trouble. If you've lived longer than 10 minutes, you've probably had trouble. Even a newborn baby has trouble. They don't recognize it, but you know when they can't control their bowels, that's trouble for the people in the room. Everybody has trouble. Look at him. God said, I will be with you in trouble. And I will deliver you and honor you. What is he telling me? That the Lord is a shield and a buckler. He is a sovereign protector. Even when I can't defend myself, God can defend me. Even when I don't know how to fight, I can stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Even when I don't know what to pray, there is one with utterances and groanings can pray and intercede on my behalf. Even when I don't know how to take a step to the left or to the right, if I just wait patiently on the Lord, he'll come and he'll find me. Wait, I say wait, says the Lord. I can just stand there and he'll find me and he'll surround me. Psalms 46 and 1. God is the refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Isaiah 41.10 God will strengthen you, help you, and hold you up with his righteous right hand. Psalms 34 and 7. 
The angel of the Lord camps round about those who fears him, and he delivers them. Psalms 32 and 7. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Ms. Carol, as you make your way. Very last one. With long life, I, this is the writer again talking, with long life, I will satisfy him. Talk, the writer's talking back to God. God's talking back to the writer. The writer says, okay, God, you're my protection. How am I going to dwell in the land of the dead, the land of the living? How am I going to do this? And God says, I'm going to give you long life. I'm going to sustain you with longevity. I'm going to show you my salvation, but with long life. What are you saying, preacher? I'm going to live till I'm 80. I don't know how long you'll live, but however God determines it, it's long enough to know Jesus. It's long enough. Notice what he says in Psalms 33, verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those whose hopes in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive. We talked about it this morning. This is what Naomi and Elimelech needed to remember. He'll keep them alive in famines. Psalms 37 says it like this. The steps of a good man or woman are ordered of the Lord. And he delights in his way. Though he fail or he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been young. What did I just read? Let's go back real quick. With long life. Bible said, I will satisfy him. God said, with long life, I'll show him I'm God. I have been young, but now I'm old. Long life. Yet I have never in my lifetime seen the righteous forsaken, or his seed or his descendants beg for bread. God is ever merciful and lends and his descendants are blessed. Pastor, what are you telling me? I'm telling you not only is God a safe place, not only is God a sheltering peace, not only is God a sure presence, not only is God a sovereign protection, but God still is a promise giver. He gives promises that no one can take away from you. He gives promises that no man can give. The old writer says it this, the world didn't give it to me, so the world can't. Take it away. Special promise. God promised us heaven. Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Thomas said, well, how do we get there? Jesus said, I'm that way. A promise. What did he say? It's imperative that I go away, that you can receive the Holy Spirit of promise. If you let me go, there'll be you'll be in due to power. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. The promise giver. Promise giver. So I don't know what you're here and your heaviness of heart may be or what your lot in life may be today. But if God has ever in your lifetime given you a word and it hasn't come to pass yet, don't be discouraged because he never gives empty promises. There's never been a time God gave a promise that he wasn't willing and able to fulfill. Now, I will say this as a mode of sidebar. 
There have been some promises that have outlived the person that got the promise. Meaning some people have passed on and never saw the promise come to light, but that did not mean God didn't fulfill the promise. It just wasn't in their timeline. There have been people that have prayed for their sons and daughters to be saved and died thinking their sons and daughters were lost and they may never see them again. But somewhere, whether it was in the homegoing service or whether it was down the road, eventually that son or daughter became saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Spirit. Did God not fulfill the promise? He did. He did. Some people have been backslidden since the day they were born. They ain't never front slid to backslide. As my grandfather used to say, Grandpa used to say some people ain't slid far enough in the front to ever have a reason to slide back. The reality of it is there's some people, they never got saved a day in their life, but on their deathbed, they say, God, I've screwed my life all up, and I know I'm about to leave this world, but don't let me go alone. And you know what happened? He promised them, there is, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God and believe also in me, in my Father's house there are many mansions. I don't think the thief on the cross was a good man, but when he said, Jesus, I've screwed this thing up, and I know I'm about to die, please remember me. Jesus said, buddy, as soon as I go, you're coming too. We're going to this place together. Welcome home. Welcome to the family. He didn't get a lot of time to change his mind, but he got it right just in time. God fulfills his promise. Some of you in this room, probably if time would have allowed us to do so, you've had God do things, give you a spoken word or give you a prophecy or give you, and you've seen it come to pass in your lifetime, which means that if you've seen that already happen time and time again, then whatever you have need of, believe that the same God who was able to fulfill all the promises you've had in the past is the same God that will make good on the promises you've yet to receive. Pastor, my kids aren't saved yet. No, but did your husband get saved when he used to be a sinner? Yes, he did. I used to live with a bad old dude. But you know what? God saved him. Well, good. Maybe your children's coming around. It's going to happen. Did God fulfill promises to you in the past? Oh, yes, he did. Well, then he's still a promise giver. Don't give up praying for them. Don't give up fasting for them. Sons and daughters and spouses and finances and marriages and jobs and better jobs. Whatever it is, don't give up yet. You may not see it, but that doesn't mean God won't fulfill it. You know how many people were looking for the Messiah? Isaiah, 400 year, over 400 years before his arrival, some probably five, 600 years prior to the arrival, Isaiah... Micah, Malachi prophesied, but you know what? Isaiah never saw the babe born in Bethlehem. Malachi and Micah never got to stand around the temple when Simeon dedicated him back to the Lord. But did God fulfill his promise? Did he not say, out of you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, I will make you. You might be small amongst Israel, but you will be among the greatest because I will send the bread out of heaven. And Did he not do it? Isaiah prophesied it. He never saw it. But did God do it? Yes, he did. Which means the promises that God gives, I may never see on this side of heaven. But you remember that old scripture that says that my prayers can be stored up like vials in heaven. I may, Miss Ann, never see it when God goes to the courier cabinet of heaven and starts to pour out one of my prayers stored up. I may never see it get poured out. But as the old song says, but one day when I get to heaven, we'll understand it better. By and by. I may not see it here, but one day he'll pour it out and I'll understand. So 
whatever it is you have need of in this place today. Whatever it is you're facing today, whatever it is you're walking through, can I tell you no matter what you've got to deal with, no matter what you may feel like around the next bend, there might be things you don't even know is coming. Don't stress about it because he's got it all in his hands. I was given two special requests before I prayed tonight that I want us to pray here at the end of service. Actually, there are three. I'm sorry, three. Mr. Gene Cripp, that was the owner of Music Man Barbecue, we received a report today that he had passed away. And so we want to pray for that family today. He passed away this morning sometime. There's a young lady that, her name is Crystal, that I had the privilege of getting to meet in my stint in Orangeburg. Her family uh, was a part of the church. And at the time, she was living in the upstate with her grandparents, and she came down to be closer to family and started coming to the church in our young adult Bible study. She was from Charleston. Her mom goes to the New Covenant Church of God. But she been having some pain in her side, been bothering her, but just hadn't went to the doctor for whatever reason. And last night, or actually earlier into the earlier into the morning, late last night, early morning, she called her mom. She was in the den, her mom was upstairs, and she called her mom a very faint voice and just said come here by the time the mom got from downstairs to the den she went unresponsive and she is in ICU at Trident Hospital with a very acute version of pancreatitis that they don't think they can reverse and that it probably will be just a matter of maybe even days before she transitions home to glory I got that call this afternoon at my house You know, I do believe God hears us when we pray. I just said God is a promise keeper. And in his word it says, the effectual fervent prayer of righteous men and women avails much. It changes things. If there be any sick among you, Brother James, what's it say? Let him call on the church to pray. Because the prayer works. And in the same prayer, it is so glad, I'm so glad that we see Miss Glenda's here tonight. So glad she was able to make it, but also glad that Brother and Sister Art here today. I told you this morning I wanted you to be praying for him, that God would give him a rhema word for next week for you. And as he preaches the word of God, that it would be an encouragement to him as much as it is to us. Then the Lord would just keep confirming that, that his hand is on him to, to still be a difference maker for the kingdom of God. So as you stand all over the house and we get ready to take these requests, I want us to pray for him, I'm not going to make him come up today, but I want us to pray for him. He's his strength in his body. I know sometimes it, his body kind of gets tired on him, and he's not as young as he may used to have felt. But I want to pray that he has a good week, and that the Lord just helps him to stay young. I want him to have a Caleb spirit. He's not 85 years old like Caleb is, but I want him to be that kind of Caleb spirit where the Bible said there was a different kind of spirit in Caleb kind of a rejuvenation, if you will, of spirit, that next week he'll preach like he's 20 years old again by the hand of Almighty God orchestrating it. But I want to pray for these requests, these two requests, and then for Pastor Ard before our benediction. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you in this place. 
We gathered in your name to worship you today. Father, you know what we have need of even before we can ask or think it today. Father, there are some, God, that are here today in this house that no doubt have heavy hearts. So, Father, I'm asking today that you be with the family of Gene Cribb and all of the family, friends, and connections of Music Man Barbecue, the countless families, the countless hours he has spent cooking and feeding this area. God, today I pray that the comforter of Almighty God would comfort his family in their time of bereavement. Father, I pray for Crystal today who is in ICU at the hospital. Things don't look good. But you're a God who can reverse the curse. Rewrite the narrative. Change the tide. You're a God that's able to do more than enough. I pray for Teresa, her mother, and the family. and Sister Rosalie, her grandmother, who's not able to be there right now. But Lord, I pray for her as well. She's worried about her granddaughter. That God, you would just give a peace in the midst of the storm. Father, I pray today for Pastor Art, who will be assigned with the task of standing behind this sacred lectern and podium next week to decree and declare the uncompromised Word of God to the people of God. I pray that he has a Caleb spirit this week where he feels better than he's felt in a long time. And I pray that, God, when he stands behind this lectern next week, God, he it's as if you rolled back the age and you rolled back the time and you, you let the, the, the plowman overtake the reaper and time not be of the essence. And God, he, he would feel young in body and young in spirit and he would preach the word of God with more passion and fervor and tenacity than he's ever preached before so that your word could accomplish the task it's sent to do and change, challenge, and convict the hearts and the lives of the believers and those that may not know you. Father, I pray for those that are in our congregation sick and in need of touch. I pray for those that are battling post-surgeries and other ailments in their bodies that you would bring about a healing to them today. Father, may you bless us and keep us. Make your face shine upon us. Be gracious to us. Put your countenance towards us. Give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. Guard our hearts until you come again. Father, may the words of our mouths and meditations